the four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Happy hour is going down right now. 277 on margaritas and shots and beers. Exciting hour on the way. More Bruce Cassidy actualities sound as we want to talk about what Bruce was saying to the media this morning, what Kelly McCrimmon was saying. But let's get into a couple of football notes before we get back to VGK's big hire. They get a head coach uh, after about four and a half weeks. Um, even before that, though, Candy, i got to mention something because I know we're going to do a little more on this in the 4 o'clock hour. Really good news for a, a local product, Chris Wood. I was thrilled to see this last night. You know, it even though Wood has a long-term contract, is making money, it's been an immense success story since he didn't get drafted at all. You know, when he came out, um, he actually got moved from the Rockets to a good organization in the Mavericks. I think it's just really great. And I thought the note that I saw later in the night last night that the Rockets are probably going to take Paolo Bancaro third in the NBA draft. That that may have been the reason they moved on Chris Wood. Could those two guys not coexist on a team that has, I'm not going to say no talent, it's just a lot of young talent. I just don't really get what the plan is for the Rockets, quite honestly, because if you have a player like Chris Wood, granted, not the most efficient player, but a guy averaging pretty much 18 and 10 for you last year. I don't really see if you're not building around Chris Wood amongst your other young players like Jalen Green, like Josh Christopher, then I don't really understand what the plan is here. Um, that being said, uh, look, Paolo Banquero is a, a fine player. I don't see where he would have had trouble coexisting with Chris Wood. And if right now you're worried about having too many bigs near the lane, you have a roster construction problem in the first place. Do you think Paolo Bancaro ever averages 18 and 10 in the NBA? I think it's well within his range of possibilities, uh, but you know, you're you're trading a maybe for a can do. Like right. Chris Wizard showed you he can do it. I mean, he certainly has a chance because he's on the Rockets. And I also think that's gonna be we're gonna have a wake up call when Chris Wood goes to the Mavericks. Like I don't know that he's gonna average the same numbers, although they do I mean they need they need some higher level help, more consistent help around Luka. Who's going to rebound the basketball, right? And that's what Chris Wood brings you above everything else. This year, Chris Wood averaged the seventh most defensive rebounds in the entire NBA at nearly nine per game. He was top 15 in rebounding overall, but it was really on the defensive boards where he made his money this past year. And so that's how he's going to get his minutes with the Dallas Mavericks, because look around the rest of that roster and tell me who's going to be the one getting the boards. You would expect a guy, because you know, when you think about Wood, Chris Wood, what does he weigh now? Two twenty-two, right? He's he's a you know long, skinny guy at six eleven. Um, maybe Mackay Becton's a little too big for, to be an NBA player, but at six eight and somewhere between three twenty and four fifty, um, Mackay Becton has shown signs of being a franchise player with the Jets, but it's just signs because he can't consistently stay on the field. And what he was doing the other day, I don't understand. He he showed up at. Uh, minicamp press conference with a shirt that said, quote, big bust, quote, fat, lazy, injury prone, out of shape. And he said, I'm going to make, make them eat their words. What's the point? What's the point? So we're going to have another conversation about guys needing to motivate themselves, right? I mean, I mean how well, often I, do we have this conversation? Right? What, what's the right? point? It's, it's and like, insane. 
last week we, we, we talked to John Abram, and he seemed, like, very edgy. Um, and he did mention something about the media. And it's like, you know, and as Adam Hill said yesterday, like, John, we're not the ones who didn't pick up your option. And, no, I, like, your performance has has shown some holes in your game. So, I mean, I guess if that's what you need for motivation is to kind of go, you know, bang, 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 bang in a press conference, I, I suppose you can do that. But Makai backed into me with the T-shirt on. I guess the thing that really annoys me as a Jets fan is the Jets knew what they were buying into, and they're getting exactly the kind of what they knew could happen, which is a guy, like I said, who fluctuates between 320 and 420. 450 is probably a little high. He's just he's not a workout warrior. I mean, honestly, he's very reminiscent of what the Raiders dealt with a couple of years here at right tackle, right? Same size dude and a guy who, when he plays, can be awesome, but is very up and down. And by the way, Mikai Becton might have chosen some better words than I'm going to make them eat their words because he basically yeah. just made the he just made the next T-shirt that he's going to have to wear if this doesn't go well uh, with the John Abram thing. Look, if he pisses himself off into being able to cover somebody, <laughs> yes. then fantastic. Then we've done our job here and all Raiders fans should come congratulate Cofield and company for getting some performance out of John Abram. That was what they expected in the first place because the guy can't cover anything. He got some success last year because they basically put him into a hybrid linebacker role where he was able to come up and support the line. Well, yeah, that's exactly what he was supposed to be in the first place. He was overdrafted, and we can't change that. We can't change the fact that John Gruden overdrafted John Abram. John Abram can change the fact that John Gruden overdrafted John Abram, and then he can get himself another contract. And if us doing uh, our job is what makes that happen, then Godspeed and more power to everybody. Adam Candy, next time on Cofield and Company, will piss himself off into doing a good show. Actually, I think you, I'm going to try. Might, actually, I think I'm going to try. Have, I think you might have done it today. It's good so far. Amen <laughs> to that. Nice job. Tell us about uh, a brewing battle between the Dallas mayor and Jerry Jones. What happened here? What, what did the mayor say? You know, it was, it's been weeks now since the mayor of Dallas said, you know, I think Dallas can support two NFL teams. We've got the population for it. Yes, you have one of the top 10 largest cities in the NFL. I just wonder if the mayor has been out on the street anytime recently within the city of Dallas to see how many people in Dallas are asking for a team other than the Cowboys. And I kind of was just sitting around waiting, thinking, Jarrah ain't going to like this. Like, how long is it going to take for Jerry? Oh, he did. Oh, Jerry, Jerry shot back. This week, Jerry finally shot back and said that he thinks the mayor is out of his depth and said, uh, I don't think the NFL would really like that idea very much, which honestly, at, I thought it was condescending the way Jerry Jones went about it, but I also thought it was restrained based on what I expected. Question for you. We have the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame ceremony coming up tomorrow. We'll be out there live from 3 to 6. Looking forward, who will be the first person to go into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame tied to the Raiders coming here? Would it be a player? Would it be Mark Davis? Would it be ooh, Steve Sisolak? That would, that would be interesting. Um, who am I missing who was instrumental in it? What, what if Mark Bedane went in before all of them? I don't think that would make some people happy. Um, what's the first? I mean, we've already got some Raiders. We've already got Frank Hawkins in there who is, you know, has Raiders ties. Who would it be? Well, apparently it's going to be John Abram once he uh, pisses Stop. himself off into Stop. being a great player. Stop. I, no, it's going to be Mark Davis. It's it, yeah. it's quite clearly going to be Mark Davis. And like, I can't argue with that. 
uh, Mark Davis is as responsible as anyone for Las Vegas doing the impossible and getting an NFL team, right? It's something that for those of us like you and me who have lived here as long as we have, it felt like a conversation that you don't even start because there's no way of finishing it. And yet Mark Davis finished it. How soon? Next two or three years? I don't know if it's quite there, right? I don't know if it needs to happen that soon uh, for Mark Davis. Um, but then again, I don't know how hard he'll push for it himself, right? right. Uh, he, he might want it. And if he wants it, then I don't see where there's any reason to hold back on it. So the uh, silent auction is up. And that's really, you know, aside from honoring the uh, legends of Las Vegas, this uh, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame ceremony is about raising money for the Public Education Foundation. You can go to the silent auction. We'll post it again on Twitter at uh, hofgala2022.givesmart.com. Silent auction has dozens and dozens and dozens of good items, but the money's going to the Public Education Foundation, which funds scholarships. There will be seven scholarships going out tomorrow at the Dollar Loan Center, the David Hum Scholarship Award for Courage, Richard Bajan Leadership Scholarship, and uh, Simon Keith Heart of a Champion scholarship going out. Uh, some of the items in the silent auction, we've talked about uh, multiple staycations, uh, concert and show tickets like Luke Bryan, David Blaine, a lot of collectibles, a lot of collectibles, Magic Johnson jersey, uh, Alex Leatherwood gear, Kavon Looney signed jersey, Tim Brown signed jersey, VGK signed jersey, Jim Plunkett signed helmet. There's also experiences like a UNLV fan experience this one is insane the UNLV fan experience includes four club season tickets to football and a parking pass four season tickets to basketball men's basketball and a parking pass swag to go along with it and a tour of the uh, Fertitta football complex again dozens of items go check it out Uh, some of the stuff hadn't been bid on yet tomorrow when the audience is there they'll be bidding up but you don't have to be at the dollar loan center to bid on this stuff, again, it's hofgala2022.givesmart.com. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Ten seconds to go. The longest wait for a first title any team in this league has had. For the first time in their history, the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. Don't like St. Louis. Don't like Boston. But that was the Stanley Cup final from what, Candy, 2019? Bruce Cassidy was right there. So he's been on the precipice of winning a cup. He's now, after you know what most would describe as six successful seasons, six playoff appearances with the Bruins, he's now the VGK head coach. Uh, wanted to give the audience more of what he said to the media today. So let's fire some of these as a – Cassidy and a lot of these is going to be talking about, um, you know, dealing with players, but more importantly, the kind of hockey he's looking for that he wants to bring to Las Vegas. We want to be attack oriented. We don't want to sit back. Uh, we're not going out there you know, with, with, hey, we're going to win a game one nothing every night. I'm not. You have to be comfortable in close games, but we want to put teams on their heels. We want to score goals, but not at the the expense of fire wagon hockey. Okay, Candy, what do you think? I think I love terms like fire wagon hockey. And they're the kind of terms you only get in hockey. Fire wagon! Uh, I think that Bruce Cassidy is the right coach at the right time if that's what he wants the Vegas Golden Knights to do because we heard very clearly from Riley Smith 
at the end of the year that they want to play a more open, free-flowing kind of style. And I feel badly for Pete DeBoer in ways because the early Golden Knights, the Gerard Gallant Golden Knights, were a fast team that pressured the hell out of you in the in your own zone. And Marc-Andre Fleury was back there to clean up mistakes. And you couldn't do that quite as much with the goaltending troubles that the Vegas Golden Knights had last year in particular, and frankly, with the lack of speed that they had when they were as injured as they were. So Bruce Cassidy coming in and playing that style, I don't think it's just going to be great for results. I think it's going to be great for the players. I think it's going to be great for fans who last year we saw kind of fell off in terms of their support being in the building. There were some whispers uh, that with the Bruins, Cassidy had you know kind of a frayed relationship with some of the players. He talks about managing players. And that, to me, is, will be a feeling out process. Uh, it'll happen quick. I think, you know, I'm pretty good at assessing what, how a player needs to be handled. I've always believed you have to earn your way in the National Hockey League. So, as a younger guy, I don't like to let those habits and details slip. So they will hear uh, more of the message. How you deliver that message again is, everyone has a different coaching style. If you don't have accountability, I don't think you have much in the end. Seemed like the accountability thing was a, a big theme and. One of the goals of VGK. Now, we've talked about this over the last, you know, four, five, six weeks before DeBoer got fired and, and after. Is this a locker room that needs a hard ass to come in there and demand some accountability as I pound the table? I think there are only two players who are going to get that hard ass treatment from Bruce Cassidy based on what he's talking about. And some of it's going to be based on age and some of it's going to be based on what he expects out of those players. And I think it's going to be Jack Eichel and Shea Theodore. Uh, these are the two young stars on this roster, right? 25, 26 years old. Everybody else doesn't need a hard ass, but I don't think Bruce Cassidy is going to bring it. You just heard him talk about earning it, right? Well, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and Alex Petrangelo are not guys who need anybody to uh, put their credentials up on the table. We know exactly who they are. In fact, Bruce Cassidy knows damn well who Alex Petrangelo is. He was the captain of the team to beat them in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2019. So you have multiple captains. You have four captains who are going to be on this roster. Five, if you count Shea Weber, who's never going to play for them after he was acquired uh, for his contract today for Evgeny Dodonov. Bye, Daddy, by the way. Uh, Daddy gone for the second time for a player who will never play for the team. Uh, yeah, I, I just think Bruce Cassidy's in a spot where he knows which guys he has to drive like that. It sounded to me like one of the biggest factors in the hire of Bruce Cassidy was you got to fix the power play. It has been a thorn in the uh, Golden Knights side for a couple of years now. So first of all, here's uh, GM Kelly McCrimmon talking about what he's uh, seen over the years from Cassidy and his power play. Can't stress enough the importance of special teams, and I know that it's been a challenge here at different times in the past. You know, Bruce has done it again and again and again. I guess that's what, uh, to me, is impressive. I think there's uh, different teams and different coaches that, you know, with the right personnel in the right year, you have a real good power play or a real good penalty kill or maybe uh, maybe one's better than the other significantly. You see teams sometimes like that. And I think in uh, Bruce's case, penalty kill and the power play consistently have been very, very good for a long period of time. You know, I'm more of a, a basketball guy than a hockey guy, and I, I know just to tie it to basketball, I know there are people who, coaches, who will talk about the uh, the pick and roll, the pick and pop, everything, like just, the, just the, the screen game, and they will go on and on and on forever. They love talking about it. I got the idea that Cassidy loves talking about the power play. He talks about his philosophies here, and he actually, he joked, I don't think it's on the cut, but he's like, hey, if you want to stay around, I'll, I can do this for like 25 minutes. I love talking about the power play. 
I've always believed, typically you're, you're seeing at least four, you know, four forwards and a defenseman uh, on the power play. So I've always felt that you know, the majority of the plays should go through those four forwards. So they're, they're just typically more comfortable around the net. They want the puck around the net. They're high-end guys that, that need the puck around the net. That you know, drives a lot of their, uh, their offense that can spill into five on five. So that's the first thing we've always tried to do is run our, I mean, every power play has options. So we want our options to be closer to the net, as close to the net as possible. So we'll make sure we build in those uh, depending on sticks, strengths. There you go. Depending on stick, strength. And then he went on to say, he talked about the difference from previous power plays to set up to Eichel, you know, left hand, right hand, all that stuff. Um, and they got a lot of production out of it. So they targeted a guy and, and he's had success with it. Uh, look, I love hearing that. And it's a big change from Pete DeBoer. We know that whether it was the power player, whether it was even strength, Pete DeBoer believed in puck down low, puck back up high and try to get a, a shot to the net. Maybe that gets through, you get a rebound, whatever the case might be. But the Golden Knights have the skill to play differently on the power play. You want to be able to open up those cross ice passes, get Max Pacioretty kind of over in the uh, Alex Ovechkin office spot to hit on a one timer. You've got a big body in Mark Stone that, yes, he's played out some closer to the blue line, but you can get him more in front of the net and let him take up space down there. And we've seen the creativity of a guy like Chandler Stevenson as well. Uh, I could go on and on like Bruce Cassidy talking about guys who have the skill set to get it done uh, for the Golden Knights. And it's been one of the more flummoxing things about this team over the last couple of years. Nice. Flummoxing. Give me more Cassidy. What makes me a good fit, I think, in general, I've, I've done a good job with certain areas of the game that are important in the National Hockey League. You've got to value def keeping the puck out of your net. Can't win if you're not good defensively. I think our teams have been very good in that structure. We're doing it to get the puck back. We want to get into attack mode. Uh, and I think we've, we've been, been very good with that. Our special teams are, are so important in the National Hockey League. I think our, our numbers speak for themselves in that area. I liked what I heard today. Confident guy. Keep going. Players will have the freedom and creativity to get going on offense and play to their strengths. And there's a lot of those players in this lineup. So I think that'll translate well. Uh, having some high-end offensive defensemen that can, can push the pace, I think, in today's National Hockey League is so important the way the game's progressed. Um, so that'll be a good fit because I believe in that. So all the, you know, everything aligned perfectly, I thought, with the roster. Until I walk in that room, I can't tell you everyone's personality. I'm going through the process now of meeting, trying to connect with every player. And then one more comment on why Cassidy believes this was the job, uh, he's the fit. That's the kind of style of play that I believe uh, I can bring, and, and I, I've, I try to get our teams to play, and, they, and it looks like this group of players will want to play that way and excel in that style. So that, that's why I think it's a good fit. Now, in the end, Candy, you know, all this philosophy talk and approach stuff and, you know, fire in the belly stuff, not going to matter, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what happens on the ice. But I know you... When Cassidy was made available, you were one of the, the guys out there on radio who was like, get him. He's the match. I was from the jump said Bruce Cassidy is the guy that's going to fit this place. And let's be really clear. They should not have fired Pete DeBoer. They absolutely should have given Pete DeBoer more time. That said, they lucked into this one. They lucked into the Boston Bruins firing Bruce Cassidy. Bruce Cassidy had a higher point percentage in every season with the Boston Bruins than Pete DeBoer had in his time here in Vegas. There weren't a lot of ways to upgrade, right? And I'm not even sure that I'm saying Bruce Cassidy is a better coach than Pete DeBoer was. But if you're going to try to upgrade, 
you actually accomplished it with Bruce Cassidy. He's a guy who's used to this kind of locker room. Look, I talked about it when we had uh, Kevin Paul DuPont on in the first hour. He has veteran, veteran forwards. He has strong leadership. He's able to talk to these guys and get high-end performance out of them. And if you're going to judge a coach based on playoff performance, then I think you're going to be in a world of hurt in the NHL in particular when so many random things can change your ability to be able to win in the postseason. Tyler Bischoff talks about it all the time. It's a dumb sport with the way things happen. Bounces and all sorts of crazy stuff. Bruce Cassidy is going to put them in position to win. Is that going to be enough for the front office? Well, it wasn't enough with Gerard Gallant, and it wasn't enough with Pete DeBoer, but they gave at least the right guy another chance at this. Happy Father's Day. We got another cool gift, a gift card. Go get dinner at uh, Fogo de Chon. Awesome place. You get a chance to uh, try and discover new foods and the uh, the meat selection, right? Now, let's not even get into the meat, right? <laughs> pounds of meat. Right? 21 pounds of meat. If you want to eat 21 pounds of meat, guess what? It's all you can eat. You can go crazy at Fogo. We've got a gift card right now, 364-1100, caller 7364-1100. Check them out online, Fogo.com. Get reservations online at Fogo.com. Caller 7, you get to go to Fogo to show at 364-1100. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone. Oh, honey, though our friendship... Rolling towards the conversation with Brad Powers. College football, just like the NFL, 12 months a year. You can always be betting on it. And, uh, you know, Candy works at LegalSportsReport.com. So, Candy, I'm sure you've been tracking, you know, all the books around the country and how aggressive they're getting with college football numbers. I'll tell you, from talking to Brad on this show on Thursdays and tracking him on Twitter, some books out there have been way too aggressive, and I don't know if they know what the hell they're doing. We'll get to that in about 10 Good fat pack music coming back. Reminds me of, before we get to a couple of food items, I recommended the show the other day. It's a 10-part series. I recommended it to Willie Ramirez because he's a freaking gangster movie, you know, Sopranos junkie. Have you heard of The Offer? No, I have not. So are The Offer... Recommend this? Are you giving me homework now? Well, you don't have to do it. Um, the Offer is supposed to be the telling of the story of Al Ruddy, who was the producer of The Godfather, and the lead-up to make The Godfather and how hard it was to make The Godfather with all these different forces, from the money people to the studio to the mob, who many of them did not want the offer to be made because they thought it was a, an insult to Italian-Americans. So, um, eight episodes in. I will say it's been good. It's getting a little cheesy, but there actually is a there's a lot of mob storylines that are intertwined in it, which are kind of cool. So, interesting. You're, I'll I'll leave it at that. You you're you're that person. You give books for Christmas, don't you? You absolutely give books. This for is Christmas. so much easier. It's a TV show. No, no I don't no, read. No, I don't expect. I don't, you I don't are, expect anyone to read. What you're giving me is a gift that steals my time. You are giving me oh, a gift stop. that takes my time. Look, I people who give books at Christmas yeah. are basically saying, "Here's your homework assignment," because you know they're going to ask you in a couple of months, "Did you like that book?" Yeah, and you're going to well, be like. It's been propping the door open. No, no. Uh, well, I'll tell you one of the reasons I really get a kick out of it is if, and listen, the, the, the mafia is not a good thing, right? It's organized crime. But 
when you grow up in New Jersey or New York, you're familiar with a lot of the family names that are in this offer, right? Because they go back generations and generations and generations, the five families of New York. So that's, that's another thing that I find interesting. So as I'm, I, as I'm watching it, I'm looking stuff up. And I will tell you the other thing is Willie has talked about Johnny Russo became you know legendary Vegas character, and Johnny Russo was in The Godfather as Carlo, the you know the one who was knocking around the sister played by Talia Shire, and the guy who plays him is it's actually real. And that's the other thing they found really good actors to play Al Pacino, James Caan. The guy playing Marlon Brando is friggin' awesome. So, and if you like The Godfather, you know, and two and three. You get a kick out of it as well. So okay, well I, I will. Man- I will probably mention this to every host on the show because I basically forget what I talk about at times, and I just br- keep bringing up the same thing until I'm done with the series, and then we move on, and then I bring up another TV show. That's fine. It's pretty much a it's a shtick, and yeah. and the people of Vegas love it. Uh, I I am a child of a family. One side is the uh, is the Fumarellis, the other side is the Vitolos. I I, I feel like I'm going to be a harsh critic of this. Like, I'm going to be looking at this with a critical eye and being like, that's not what Uncle Bobby told me happened. <laughs> now, you know me. I love Victim Own, but I also love BTS. It, this is one of those things that always kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it just stood out to me that you were such a fan of K-pop. I love K-pop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was a little worried for you last night. I mean, this is the fat pack, and so I, was I was you were going to start. I, was, I, I was thought you were going to start eating your feelings. I, I, I thought you were going to be slamming those $5 yeah. hot and ready pizzas. Um, I drank a lot of beers, a lot of seltzers last night, because I saw something about someone going solo from BTS, and I was like, what is going on? Well, I'm here to calm you down. I'm here to calm you down. Uh, fans of BTS and the Venn diagram of Cofield and Company listeners and BTS fans <laughs> is just an enormous middle there. Yes, yes. Uh, you're going to be okay. They are going to be exploring solo projects, but they're going to come back together, okay? There's the, a hiatus was the word that was used. Now, um, some things happened here when the news came out, though, and this is oh, no. kind, of, uh, kind of insane to me. Uh, the company that represents BTS, the music company, lost $1.7 billion in market value in stock from the time the announcement came out Wednesday morning until now. That's how important BTS is. And so I feel like like maybe they come back and do this again. There's too much money not to. But here's the other piece. Ask Joey Fatone. Ask Chris Kirkpatrick. Ask Michelle Williams. (laughs) Ask all of them if the groups get back together. Ask them what it's like. Uh, See if if Kelly Rowland thinks everything's all right right now. They don't think everything's all right right now. Nick Carter is not all right right now. When the group breaks up and Justin Timberlake becomes Justin Timberlake and Beyonce becomes Beyonce, hey, the album drops in about six weeks, then you know (laughs) it might not be all right. That was a laundry list. I don't think he had anything written down. That just flowed. That was great. Things that could be used for great information in my brain taken up by former members of 90s boy bands wow that's funny because we started on the boy band thing a couple of days ago because we we dug up that old 2020 comment about uh, draymond green from barkley where barkley said uh, you know draymond is the guy in the boy band the least popular guy who thinks he's the most important and thinks they're all there cheering for him so i had no idea we should have gotten you right on the phone 
Because we had a, stay out of it, Nick Lachey. We we got we uh, we got ourselves in a hole because JVT was starting to break down in sync, and he's like, "Who's the least important guy in in sync?" And I'm like, "Dude, I am not great with names to begin with. I'm like, this is out of our our depth. You got to stop." Uh, come on, Chris Kirkpatrick, and this is not really all that challenging. This is this is a pretty straightforward call here. Uh, even Joey Fatone has got on to hosting sea level game shows in summer replacements on the networks. Like that's big time stuff. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. Sports betting and sometimes other stuff. Adam Candy's here. Demond's running the show. Jed's helping out down at Silver Sevens. Come on down. Happy hour continues. Two seventy-seven on lots of the drinks. Brad Powers is in. BradPowerSports.com. Brad's got some big announcements. We'll get to those. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Excellent. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I felt like our convo last week got truncated, and I wanted to finish up. Very important note from the end. I'm very concerned, man. I've thought about it a lot. Uh, I'll bring it up again. You tweeted out like 10 days ago. Eventually, you're going to leave Vegas. And then I asked you on the air what you wanted. You said land. And then I like we went on with the show, and I, I just went through this whole thing. Like I don't know what he needs land for. Like So what's the plan, man? We're concerned. What, why do you need land? I just want land because I don't like uh, I, I don't like neighbors. I'll put it that way. Oh, that's a good one. See, I thought you might be yeah. farming. Um, well, yeah, I mean that'll be a part of it, uh, but mainly just to, to to be you know far away from civilization. Damn. Um, I actually I spoke to an old girlfriend last week who said they had a good hay season because she moved out of Vegas to I think Missouri. Um, are you interested in, in being a hay guy? Well, I mean, if I go back to the Midwest, which would probably be the plan, and probably be uh, three different crops that it would be uh, really? predominant for me. It would be corn, soybeans, and uh, also wheat, which turns into straw if you decide to bail it up. Uh, hay is alfalfa. I'm not sure that there's going to be a you know necessity for that. So wow, look at the knowledge, Candy. I grew up That's on a farm. Say, yeah. Oh, so, you did. Yeah. See, I, see, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And is that is that what you guys did on on your family farm? Yep, that's what we did. Nice. No animals. Yeah, cattle uh, and pigs. I love it. It's just it's it's like I know you're you almost you sound annoyed. I'm like this is like so fascinating for us. You're so matter of fact. We're no, like, not at all. No, like this, I just like this I world find it is, interesting that you find it fascinating. I, it's well, funny. I do. We like Candy and I and the re- pretty much the rest of the show all come from you know a different world. I mean, I, I have a brother who lives in Alabama, and you know, I was talking to my sister in law the other day, and they're talking about you know going to a fair and catching like a freaking grease pig. I'm like, I don't. What what are we doing? I don't know any of this. I have done that. I went five for wow. five when I was a kid catching grease pigs. Did you eat the pig? Do you guys eat the pigs afterwards? Uh, you raise them up because you, you catch them when they're little, obviously. Little, yeah. I mean, I was only like eight or nine years old, but I did five consecutive years. And they're about 35, 40 pounds. They grease them up, really. I mean, it used to be uh, actual grease that they would do it. And then, you know, it got to be that time where... Uh, I don't know if it was PETA, but somebody got involved, and then it just, you know, it turned into mud. But he raised them uh, from 35, 40 pounds up to about 300, and then, you know, obviously, you go and take and get slaughtered. Nice. 
Wait, was I supposed to be nice wait, after hold, the slaughtered part? Was that no, bad? you're not. No, you weren't supposed to. No, you really. I actually immediately to. thought of the bacon and all the other stuff no, I can get from the pigs. Of, of so I was course, like, uh, this is a great yeah, story. Yeah, you're, you're in, in your head. You're where you always are, slicing meat. And it's so. <laughs> here's the thing, Brad. It, 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 I'm not surprised. Here we are with a guy who is a a sharp professional sports better, telling us he's five for five. Here he is, <laughs> five for five, Brad. <laughs> Caught all the pigs. So, so Brad's actually got some big news. Brad, did you uh, have you linked up with what covers? Yeah, so I'm gonna be doing some uh, football release shows with covers, and basically what it's gonna be is uh, if you want picks in real time, we're gonna do shows. Uh, it's gonna be early in the week for FBS stuff because I, you know, tend to have market influence sometimes when I'm betting and I'm giving out picks. Uh, we'll do it live, and then, you know, later in the week when the FCS stuff opens up, we'll, we'll do another show there. Won't be a long show. Won't be podcast format. Be quick hitters, 15, 20 minutes. Give out several picks, what, what's available with the best bets on the board, and away we'll go. And how do you balance uh, that kind of stuff, Brad, uh, when you're doing a show that's that's largely around picks? Because like you said, like you're, you're a guy who, you know, you have the kind of information, the kind of you know sway with these things that you can move things when you uh, when you place a wager. Well, that's an excellent question. So, I mean, it's a fine line that you got to walk, and it, I mean, it does get tougher for me. Uh, the more influence, the you know, the less likely that people can actually get your stuff, uh, especially if they're not betting it right away. So, uh, this would you know hopefully correct some of that if that that's all people want. I mean, I tend to give out a lot more information than just picks. I always tell people don't buy me for just picks. You know, buy me for all the information that I give out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's the line that I walk there. And the good thing about me is you know because some people be worried. Well, you're going on these shows. I mean, these guys are going to be getting it for free. Well, the, the thing with me is I I bet a lot. I, I almost bet the board when it comes to college football, so there'll be plenty to go around for everybody. I'll put it that way. Well, Brad, I've been watching you tweet through watching all of the spring games, and so we know the dedication that you have to watching every little piece of information you can get when it comes to college football. Uh, were there any big takeaways that, that you had coming off watching uh, spring practice for the big programs? Well, let me first say why, you know, it's important for me to do it uh, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, turnover in college football more than ever before, not only coaching turnover, but obviously with the transfer portal and whatnot, I mean, a lot of roster turnover. So, I mean, I, I try to get familiar with the teams as quick as possible, uh, any sort of information, whether I'm really getting great actionable takeaways. I at least want to see new players on new teams and whatnot, and obviously with, with you know, with each passing year, more freshmen enroll early, so you can get to get a look first chance to get a look at the freshmen. So that's why I've actually prioritized spring games here. It's a kind of a recent phenomenon for me. I mean, if you asked me five years ago, I would say no way. But uh, biggest takeaways for me, I mean, I, I, Alabama. I think further cemented themselves uh, after watching them that they're the best team in the country. Uh, a couple of their tra- incoming transfers, I thought, left the mark. I mean, one being. Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech, outstanding running back for them, fills a hole there. Brian Robinson leaves, so that, that that's a question answered for the Crimson Tide. Also, wide receiver is a big question mark, but you know Jermaine Burton looked pretty good. He comes in from Georgia, so I would say that's the biggest takeaway is that Alabama just further cemented themselves as the, the top team in the country. Go to BradParasports.com. Uh, Brad is very humble about uh, pitching his stuff, but I'm, I, you got to do it here because I just saw that. 
uh, right now you have a, a special up for the newsletter for, is it like less than 100 bucks for the year? Yeah, so it's 79 bucks for the entire year. It's college football, it's NFL. Keep in mind, it's a once-a-week update. So it's a snapshot in time. So it gets sent out every single Wednesday during the season, and you'll get my topics for the week as of Wednesday at that time. So, And not only do I give out picks, I write up every single game every single week. And then you know, a lot of people just buy it for the off season because I've already made almost 200 bets already, and if you want to get a jump on season win totals, game of the years, week zero, week one, it's all in uh, this uh, month's issue. So Brad's been all over college football totals. I'm, I guess I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm seeing a, a, a general sense of excitement of getting down on numbers at Barstool. Is, <laughs> is that book's reputation, especially on college football win totals, uh, that of one that maybe isn't the sharpest? Uh yeah, so I mean, it, I, I have thought the numbers have been good enough to make a couple trips, uh, you know, across the Hoover Dam, uh, if that makes sense. Because obviously, Barstool is not here in the state of Nevada. Got to go across state lines, but uh, it's not. Uh, let's just put it this way: they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Uh, whoever's making those lines, so you know, especially I would say Group of Five teams are very, very soft at, at Barstool. So. You know, a new team to the FBS this year is James Madison. They had their over-under at 7.5. I mean, I'm not saying it's a half game off. I'm saying that it's a game and a half off. So I found quite a few of those types of bets. Now, and and under you, is the play, under 7.5, I should say. Yeah, there you go. I will tell you, Candy, we have a brewing rivalry in town. Um, Brad Powers, is, has, he's hit up both the uh, the South Point pretty heavy and also the Golden Nugget. And, you know, I have sources at the Golden Nugget. I'm not going to, you know, list who they are, uh, Brad. But um, they appreciated your action. They did. They did because you you went after them hard <laughs> on the you went after them hard on the UNLV uh, schedule because uh, Golden Nugget and Tony Miller put up all the games and you moved a lot of the numbers. You moved a bunch of them. So there's there are positions yeah, there are positions being in particular, taken. But I I told some other buddies that got a little bit bigger bankrolls than me. I said go ahead and get after every single game on the schedule. I think you'll be positive EV if you bet against UNLV on all twelve games. So yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah I mean starting with the opener against Idaho State. And Idaho State's not a good FCS team, but man, twenty five points is what the opener was. Way too much. I mean I had that more in the seventeen eighteen point range as far as where my power ratings and a lot of them I would say. Or three, four, five points off. And, and look, I think UNLV's pretty much improved this year. I think they at least double their season win total. But if you were to plug those projected point spreads that Tony Miller had in there, I mean, his season win total projection, I'm guessing, was UNLV five, five and a half. I'm not that confident that UNLV that improved. Yeah, I heard you had uh, you'd gotten the you took Reno and you got a pretty good number on that, and I think it settled back in. But Reno and UNLV at the end of the season. Yeah, I took Reno plus six. And look, Reno is in bad shape this year. I mean, I, I downgraded Reno's power rating more than any team in the country. Uh, you know, I'm 131, so that should tell you something. But, I mean, again, should you and I be laying six in that rivalry? I mean, come on. Brad Powers is with us. BradPowerSports.com. Brad Powers 7 on Twitter. I know you got a kick out of the war of words, sort of. Uh, with uh, Ryan Day and, well, especially Marcus Freeman, who went on radio and was talking about Ohio State's academics. Is, is that an important conversation in terms of uh, what Freeman is battling against these other schools in recruiting? Yeah, I mean, his comments, 
were basically <laughs> saying, hey, Notre Dame's, I mean, when you boil down to it, it's basically that Ohio State doesn't take their academics as serious as Notre Dame. I mean, basically, that's all he said. So I didn't think it was much to do about anything. I mean, it'd be like me saying, you know, Ohio State's got a better football program than Notre Dame. I mean, that's just straight facts. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, I just thought the Ohio State people for – for a top three program, I mean, how, how can I don't know? I just their, their fan base. I mean, I forget Notre Dame. I worry about Alabama. That's who they're choosing. Yeah, they should call them Notre Dame <laughs> yeah. Week One. Yeah. All right, Brad. Have a good weekend, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, appreciate the farm talk today, guys. Talk to you uh, next. Well, week. we can do it every week. Uh, BradParrisSports.com newsletter for the entire college football and NFL season for uh, less than eighty bucks. Um, Yeah, I mean, for Ohio State fans to even get mad about it, I mean, it is fact. When you look back, Robert Smith was told by Ohio State, you can't be pre-med. We can't allow it because you won't be able to make practice enough that you don't have enough dedication to football if you want to be pre-med. And then, you know, some of the academic uh, academic information that came out about, remember the name Andy Katzenmoyer? It was like, it was basket weaving like 98% of the time. The the curriculum was pathetic. Candy, I got to get you on something real quick before... We get to the five o'clock hour. Um, well, this was there. Yeah, this was a tweet from you guys uh, at the beginning of the week. Californians likely will have two vastly different versions of sports betting on the ballot this fall. I know you've talked about this a lot, but where are we right now with California? So what we're going to see is come November. If you are someone who is in California, you're going to have a choice on what you want sports betting to look like. You're going to either be able to vote for a proposal that would be only at the tribal casinos, your Pachangas and your Morongos and all of those. And you have to go in person. You have to go and place your wagers in person, at least for the first five years. You're also oh. going to see one that is pushed by the operators like DraftKings, like FanDuel, etc. That would be an online version of sports betting. It looks a lot like the apps that we have here that you see in Arizona. So now, it's interesting because... California would instantly become the biggest sports betting market in the country. And as much as Vegas has been able to fight off the rest of the country having sports betting now up to 20 plus states that have some form of mobile betting, uh, this would be the one that if I were in Vegas at a sports book, I would be a little bit concerned about just because we know how much traffic on any given weekend is coming from California to Vegas. Silver Sevens, here we are on a Thursday. We're here every Thursday, 3 to 6. It's Cofield and Company live on the road. A great place to uh, play with your A-Play card. Multiple days of gift giveaways. This uh, month has been uh, Jim Beam food-themed giveaways all month long. There's a Tuesday gift giveaway. Uh, you got to earn 1,777 points on Tuesdays, and they're giving away uh, – a bunch of goodies coming up, a, a dual-sided meat hammer, the mini thermometer set on Friday, same deal. The uh, Jim Beam Walk is going out tomorrow, a uh, Jim Beam double-sided cast iron griddle as well. F- uh, let me get the day right. Oh, tonight, tonight, that's right, tonight, 6 to 10, gas card giveaway every 15 minutes. So you want to come down here, sign up for your A-Play card. Here is Silver 7s at uh, Flamingo. And Paradise, we roll on into the 5 o'clock hour. More on the hire of Bruce Cassidy by your Vegas Golden Knights.